On today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, we'll be talking about the Celtics and their continued slide and what's been going wrong and what kind of needs to change for them to uh, you know, get, get where they need to be. We'll talk about the win last night against Denver, look ahead to their uh, game tonight against Atlanta, look ahead to the rest of their schedule, take a look around the rest of the NBA, uh, some news and notes from the NHL, including the Bruins. Uh, I'll talk about their upcoming schedule, what the line combinations will look like in the next few games as the Bruins are dealing with some injuries, trying to shake things up. So we'll look at that. We'll also take a look around the rest of the NHL. We'll also get to some news and notes from the NFL, as well as news and notes from MLB. We'll take a closer look at what the Red Sox depth chart is looking like as they start spring training. We get closer to spring training games at the end of the month. We will also take a look at some college basketball men's and women's rankings as we get closer and closer to March. So let's get after it. Welcome to the program. It is episode 76 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Garrett Hayden. You could follow us on Twitter at NotBoston. You can also follow the Facebook page. Uh, you can listen on Spotify, and you can also listen on Apple Podcasts. And uh, now, uh, as of last week, you can uh, read some of my written content at GarrettHaydenSportsMedia.com, which is a uh, written sports or a sports blog site that uh, I have founded and I've started writing, written a few articles, wrote an article uh, over the weekend or uh, earlier this week um, about the Patriots and J.J. Watt and why that would be a good fit. So you can go read that. Uh, then I'll have another article coming out later this week. Uh, still kind of not sure what that's going to look like. Maybe a Red Sox one uh, about the Benintendi trade. Well, you'll have to uh, find out. Um, but yeah, episode uh, 76 of, of the podcast. Uh, it's been uh, an interesting last week for me. You know, I think uh, doing the, you know, written, doing doing writing again, I think is something that um, has always interested me. You know, I think that it just felt like now, you know, the timing was right. You know, I've had a lot of time to kind of sit and, and think and think about, you know, where my career is going. But I figured that, you know, I might as well start start somewhere and start somewhere where, you know, I can start, you know, creating content on my own, you know. So that's where we're at right now, hoping to post, you know, at least twice a week, um, you know, possibly more if there's uh, more stuff that comes out. But uh, without further ado, we'll get into the podcast, episode 76. Uh, so uh, obviously football season is, you know, over for the moment. You know, we won't hear too much, I think, about 
the NFL from now until the start of free agency. So um, obviously we won't be leading the show uh, with the NFL because, you know, what the heck really is there to talk about? I mean, there are some things to talk about, um, and we will get to that later in the show. But um, I figured that we start with the Celtics, um, and we start with um, the struggles that they've been having uh, recently. You know, we talked about this on last week's podcast as they, you know, were coming home to some, they were coming home to some uh, home games. And um, lo and behold, they play great in that uh, first game of the homestand against Toronto. Um, Ojale with 24 points, a career high. Celtics passed the ball as well as they have all season. And you figure, okay, you know, here they go with a solid performance against a solid team. Yes, I know that, you know, Toronto's not exactly the same team they were last year. You know, they've lost some talent. They're not really the same team. You know, it's difficult for them playing in Tampa Bay, not playing in, not playing at home. So, you know, but all those things aside, I thought the Celtics played a really good, really strong game on Thursday night last week. And then it just, you know, vanished when they played Detroit Friday night and it just is flat. And um, Celtics is two losses against Detroit this season. Um, and Detroit's one of the, if not the worst team in the league. Um, you know, it is funny saying that because now that I say it, you know, Detroit has beaten quite a few very good teams. They've beaten Philadelphia, they've beaten Brooklyn, they've beaten the Lakers. Um, I feel like that maybe there was one other really good team that they beat as well. So, you know, something strange about that team that they play really well against uh, opponents that, you know, they should get blown out by. So, but again, really, it's the effort that I think is what's concerning about some of these losses the Celtics have had in the last couple of weeks, um, that it just... You don't shoot well or you just don't show up and you don't show up with the energy that is expected for a team like this. You know, if, and if the Celtics really want to be taken seriously, you know, as one of the top teams in the East, you have to bring that effort and you have to bring that energy on a nightly basis because you're going to get beat by teams that, you know, don't have a lot to lose. You know, you're going to run into teams like Detroit or uh, a team like the Knicks or a team that, you know, okay, their record might not be terrible, but you should beat a team like that. And you should beat a team like that rather easily. So it just is concerning because then, you know, the Celtics follow that up with another really listless performance um, in D.C. against the Wizards and get blown out by Bradley Beal and company. And, you know, here we go again. It's the same things. And, you know, after that loss, there's a lot been... There's a lot that's been floating around out there. There's a lot that's been written um, about the fact that maybe the Celtics are tuning out the coaching staff. And, you know, it's it, it's one of those things that if you hear that, it's terrifying. You know, it's one of the things that you do not want to hear. And especially with a team like the Celtics, who honestly, like as much as they are a very good team, they're not really a veteran team. They're still a very, they're still a young team that's learning. You have a lot of guys that are still learning how to be NBA pros, and I know that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, you know, have been two incredible players for the Celtics over the last couple of years, and they've gotten better every year. But this is still a very young team. You really don't have, you know, too many old 
grizzled veterans that kind of know how it is to play in the NBA, know how it is to play and play consistently. So it just it's one of those things that it concerns you when you have a team that like the Celtics that are kind of young and it's like if that's happening, if if tuning out the coach is already happening, you know, that's not something you want to hear. And again, I think that might be speculation. I don't know if that really is, you know, really what's going on and maybe that's just more of a guess on you know, whoever's writing about the team. And I don't want to name names or, you know, say that someone, you know, is lying or saying, you know, things that they shouldn't be saying. Um, Because honestly, it might look like that based on the way the Celtics have played with the lack of energy really ever since Marcus Smart got hurt, um, that maybe that's what it looks like. So, um, but that's just, it's not something that you want to hear with this, with this particular group. Now, I thought the Celtics responded really well last night, you know, going up against a good, very good team with Denver. I know that they were shorthanded, you know, didn't have a lot of their key bench guys, but anytime you have to go play a team with Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, I don't care what kind of season Murray's having, that's still a tough team to beat. And the Celtics really came to play last night. I thought that defensively, especially, they were outstanding, very active with their hands, you know, Robert Williams and some of the guys off the bench had a really solid, had a really solid game, you know, really solid contributions. Aaron Neesmith, we've seen him play regular minutes for the first time all season in the last few games. And he responded really well to that last night. Knocked down a couple threes, got to the free throw line, had a great block shot. Yeah, you know, Denver will tell you, yeah, probably should have been a foul. But either way, it's good to see that he's competing and he is, you know, willing to compete on the defensive end. And I think that that's where, you know, there were some concerns about him when he first came to the Celtics. And maybe that was why he wasn't playing a lot, because he wasn't competing at the level that's necessary on the defensive end. But he was competing last night. If you watched, you know, a good portion of, of, of his minutes, he played really solid. And so I'm hoping that, you know, that lends Brad Stevens to give him more playing time. So... You know, I think that it's it's a welcome addition when guys can produce off the bench, but that needs to be consistent. You know, and it doesn't need to be the same guy. You don't have to have the same exact impact every single game. But if it's not someone, if it's not if it's not one person, it has to be another person. You know, if it's not Robert Williams and and Me Smith, you know, then it has to be Javante Green or uh, Grant Williams or uh, Carson Edwards or whoever comes off the bench. So it's good, but it just feels like too many times this season, we've seen the Celtics play really well as a team and just play a really solid game one night and then come back and just have no effort the next night. So this is going to be key to see what happens tonight when they play Atlanta. Atlanta's a lesser team, and this is a team that, again, if you don't come in with the right energy and the right amount of, okay, we need to go and do our jobs, they can beat you. And I know that I shouldn't say that they're a lesser team because they are pretty talented with, you know, Collins and Trey Young and how many points they can score. But if the Celtics aren't careful, you know, Atlanta could light them up. So, you know, that that defensive effort needs to be the same. It needs to be really good um, tonight, again, if they're going to have a good performance um, against the Hawks. So, you know, I, I I wish that I had the simple answer for 
you know, what needs to change for the Celtics. But, you know, I think that it's one of the things that I think Brian Scalabrini said last night that, you know, when you start to bring effort on the defensive end and you start to play with an edge on defense, everything else works itself out. Because if you start playing solid on the defensive end, everything else will work itself out. You'll be able to score in transition. You'll be able to, you know, do some better things offensively. And honestly, it might be one of those cases where the best offense is a good defense. Um, so it's, it, it's good signs from the Celtics at times, but it's not been consistent enough, you know, really over the last uh, 15 or so games, you know, maybe even before Marcus Markoff hurt, that the Celtics are, you know, winning games where they look really well, really good. And then they drop a game where it's like, okay, where was that? Where was that urgency, you know, from the night before? So um, it's going to be a test for the Celtics because, again, you know, Kemba Walker is not going to be playing back-to-backs and probably won't be playing back-to-backs for the rest of the season, um, you know, as, he, as they try to get that knee as good as it can be. You know, obviously in the playoffs, you're not going to have back-to-backs. So, you know, that's something to be okay about. But, you know, it's one of those things that the Celtics team, they, they know that Kemba is not going to be playing back-to-backs, and they know that they have to bring the right energy. So um, it's going to be really interesting tonight what they do, especially defensively, to try to slow the Hawks down. But, you know, who's going to be that third scorer? Who's going to be that third player that can give you 15 to 18 points um, every night? And, you know, logically it should be Kemba, but if he doesn't play, you know, who's going to do that? You know, can, can Pritchard do that? Can, you know, someone do that off the bench? You know, is this a game where Grant Williams can knock down two or three threes and be involved offensively? You know, it's it kind of leads into my next point of, you know, the Celtics, I feel like for too many years, and I know that this is going to sound kind of as a pretty harsh critique, but the last couple of years, the Celtics have, you know, drafted a, a bunch of young guys. They brought in a bunch of young guys to kind of fill out the bench and, you know, it's not it's not a problem that I have, but I think that at a certain point when you're getting, you know, you're getting, you're, you're going to get what you get from the starters and you kind of know what you're going to get from Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Kemba. You know, you kind of know what you're going to get from some of the guys in the roster. I feel like the Celtics, unfortunately, have a bench of too many young guys that you kind of don't know what they are. Um, that it's like you don't know what you're consistently going to get every single night. Um, and I think that that might be part of the reason maybe why they're struggling, that Brad Stevens is having a tough time, you know, finding the right group of players. But at a certain point, you know, you have to be harsh and be like, all right, these guys have, you know, shown the ability to play and these guys haven't. And I think that you have to be firm about like, all right, if you, if you can't play, you can't play and you won't play. So... I just, I don't know. I feel like the Celtics, their bench is not as deep because they have a lot of young guys that still kind of don't know. You don't know what they are yet. You know, I think the Celtics would like to think that they know what Grant Williams is. They kind of think they would like to know what Javante Green is or Carson Edwards or, you know, Tremont Waters. But it's like you look at some of these other teams that are deep and have NBA veterans who know who know how to play. And I shouldn't say know how to play. But they know how to play at like kind of a high veteran level where you know what you're you know what you're going to get when you put them in the lineup. And I think that 
the Celtics are at an interesting point because they think they're at a point where they can add someone, you know, thanks to this traded player exception, you know, but it's like, you're going to have to part ways with some of these young guys. And, you know, it really shouldn't be difficult. You know, if the Celtics do have a reasonable package to bring in a John Collins from Atlanta or a Harrison Barnes, I mean, you have to be ready to trade some of these young guys, you know, and I think that, if the Celtics really want to compete for a championship like some of these other teams in the NBA, you have to start making these trades. You have to start moving these young guys, trying to bring in guys that you know what you're going to get, you know what you're going to get when you play or when when you play them. So, you know, I think that the bench and Brad Stevens finding the right combination of players is still a work in progress, but it's just like if this continues to happen where you don't know what the bench is going to give you night in and night out. You know, you might have to make a trade. You might have to do it soon. You know, I think the Celtics are still relatively in a decent position in terms of standings, but, you know, you can't afford to go on an even longer slide like this. You know, you need to start getting some wins. You need to start getting some momentum by the time the All-Star break comes. Um, So it's going to be a very interesting next few weeks for the Celtics, and, you know, seeing what they can do. I think that if you want to get a player like a John Collins, it's going to cost you, but getting a player like that could elevate the Celtics to being a legit championship contender. You know, I think that you you offer Atlanta a package of maybe Grant and Robert Williams, maybe Romeo Langford. You get rid of some of those picks that you have that you're really not going to be using anytime soon. So, you know, I know that that would be hard for some people, to trade Robert Williams, but I think still at this point, Robert's still a work in progress. And if you could have a chance to get someone like a John Collins who can give you 18 and 10 every single night and be a solid shooter, I mean, you you, you don't say no to that. So I just, I, it'll be interesting. You know, I think that his asking price is going to be high just because he's young and he's in, he's not even yet in the prime of his career and he's still a really good player, still a really valuable commodity. Um, but I think someone like a Harrison Barnes could come a little bit cheaper, that the Celtics wouldn't have to trade a lot of young guys. They probably would still at least need to trade one of Grant or Robert Williams, um, because I think those are the two young guys that have the most value on the Celtics bench right now that you could feasibly give to a team like Sacramento. So Barnes, I think, would be a great fit for the Celtics too, because he can score is a solid defender, um, is a good shooter, can stretch the floor for um, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and he can be a guy that can play with, you know, the second unit while Jalen and Jason are off the are off the floor, um, and can kind of give you a third scoring, third or fourth scoring option, whatever whatever you want to call it. Um, one of the positives, though, from the Celtics, and trying to get to the positives rather than focus on the negatives, but one of the positives. The last two games has been Kemba Walker, who has been struggling a lot, specifically from from two, which is really weird because, you know, he's making threes with decent regularity, but he's struggling, you know, from inside the arc. But he's been playing really well the last two games. Um, Played really well, I thought, against Washington. I know that the rest of the Celtics really didn't play well in that game, but he looked pretty solid last night, knocked down a couple threes. Um, And I think that that's huge. The Celtics really need someone to kind of be that third scoring option for Jalen and Jason. And maybe with the traded player exception, whoever that might be, 
maybe that person can take even more of the pressure off. But I still think that the Celtics are in a position where I think they really need to add. If they really want to be a championship contender, they really have to, in my opinion, you know, bring in a big-time player with that TPE, whether it's Barnes, whether it's Collins, or whether it's you know someone even like a Vucevic or an Aaron Gordon. You know, and then you go out, see if you can get a big vot, a big body vet like a PJ Tucker, who's a solid defender, can shoot from the corners, and then I think you need to really, you need to figure out if Jeff Teague can help you at all, and if he can't, you get you cut him because I think that, you know, they have a guy like Peyton Pritchard who really has stepped in and has been more than they could expect, you know, kind of from that third or backup point guard or whatever you want to say, but it's like. It's getting to a point where he's passing Teague on the depth depth chart, and it's like, okay, if you really want to have a veteran point guard, maybe you need to look elsewhere. You know, maybe that involves if you're looking to trade for John Collins, does that involve asking Atlanta about Rondo? You know, does that mean thinking about another kind of older veteran point guard that you could bring in? You know, I think I hesitate before I say Isaiah Thomas just because he's not you know, a prototypical point guard, and you kind of need someone who's a good ball distributor, you know. Yes, they do need scoring off the bench, and that could be something that they look at, but, you know, I think that if if, if they think that Teague can kind of rediscover what he had, you know, then that's fine, but it's like, if you don't think he can, then get rid of him. You know, he's really not doing anything other than just filling up a roster spot. Um, so, it'd be very interesting to see kind of what's next for the Celtics um, because, you know, I think that looking at, you know, the rest of their schedule before the All-Star break, you know, what what do they do with the roster? You know, if they continue to kind of bring this average energy every night, does that mean that they're going to make a trade a lot quicker um, than, you know, waiting for All-Star break or post-All-Star break? So, all-Star break is the uh, first weekend in March. So the Celtics have uh, nine games before then. So they have two against Atlanta this week, um, have tonight and then Friday, both at the Garden. Celtics will be out on the road next week in New Orleans, Dallas, and then they'll travel to Atlanta. Um, then they'll have four home games before the All-Star break against Indiana, Washington, the Clippers, and then Toronto. So, you know, looking at those nine games... I think that most of those games are winnable. You know, I think that you have some solid teams that will come into the garden or, you know, will give you good games on the road. But, you know, really Indiana and Los Angeles are really the only two teams that you look at and say, okay, they could feasibly beat the Celtics. But the Celtics really should be fine against those other teams. But again, we kind of don't really know what to expect in the last couple weeks for the Celtics because it's kind of just been all over the place. Um, So really big upcoming stretch for the Celtics um, against some of these teams that, you know, really, really they should beat. So um, I think we'll look at the rest of the NBA. There's not really a whole lot going on. Um, You know, some of the teams like Utah, you know, are continuing to play really good basketball. It's led some people to question whether they are uh, really that good. Um, (laughs) I'll tell you that I think they are really that good, and I think some people are, are lying to themselves and thinking that, oh, you know, it's really the, the Lakers' conference to lose. And honestly, they might not be wrong. 
But it's like, I don't think you can really dismiss how well Utah has been playing. 23-8. and eight. They've won 19 of their last 20 games. You know, Donovan Mitchell has really come into his own as a superstar. Rudy Gobert is really solid in his role. They have a lot of solid complementary pieces, too. You know, Jordan Clarkson is playing at a ridiculous level. May even make an all-star team. You know, you got Bogdanovich, you got Mike Conley, who's, you know, not the all-star superstar guy that maybe he was at, at, at points in Memphis, but he still is a very good player. So it's like, you have a really solid team in Utah, and they could be in, even in a position to add, you know, at the trade deadline. So, I don't know. I don't really want to hear any of that, you know, Atlanta Hawks junk about, oh, you know, they're they're like the Hawks in uh, 2015 or whatever it was where um, they got swept by the Cavs in the second round or conference finals or whatever it was. Um, but this is different. I think this team is definitely a team that could strike fear into the heart of the Lakers and the Clippers. Um, and it's like, to be perfectly honest, I don't think the Clippers really have earned, you know, the respect necessarily of the Western Conference where it's like, okay, they had Kawhi and Paul George last year lost in game seven of the second round. Um, you know, so it's like, I don't know. I feel like they have not earned the respect that the Lakers have. Lakers won a championship last year. So, you know, if you want to talk about Utah and the Lakers, that's fair. But I don't know. I think I'd, I'd stop before you talk talk about the Clippers as being, you know, really a championship contender. I honestly don't really know if they are just based on how they were last season. But they are playing some good basketball. They've won four straight games. Uh, Portland's won five in a row, and they've catapulted to uh, fourth place in the West. Uh, Phoenix has been playing really well, did lose their last game, but they're eight and two in their last 10. The Spurs are seven and three in their last 10. Unfortunately, uh, they have had some positive tests in their organization, uh, so they won't be playing for about a week or so. Um, And that's honestly too bad because I felt like the NBA was, you know, figuring things out maybe a little bit, but, you know, I think unfortunately you're still going to have these outbreaks. And so you just hope that, you know, the team and the players stay safe. And the other teams, you know, that played the Spurs recently stay safe and, um, you know, don't have anything further that happens. But um, it's kind of just wishful thinking, I think, at this point that, you know, hoping that teams and players, you know, stay as safe as as they can. Um, In the Eastern Conference, Sixers still atop the East. But, you know, as I've said Multiple times, you know, it's not like any team in the East is really running away with the conference. Sixers sit at 18 and 10. Um, the Celtics at 14 and 13 are three and a half games out of first place. You know, that's not to say that, oh, you know, the Celtics, you know, could win the Eastern Conference. I mean, it's crazier things have happened, but it just is wild to think that the rest of the Eastern Conference really after the top four is just it's all over the place. I mean, the the Knicks are in sixth place in the Eastern conference. You know, they have the same record as pretty much the same record as Toronto, you know, a team like Miami has really struggled out of the gate. And I know a lot of it has to do with, you know, the protocols that they were playing with eight or nine guys on some nights. So, um, you know, maybe you take that record with a grain of salt, but um, the Eastern conference really is all over the place. So um, it is really interesting to see. So, that probably is it for, for our NBA. Obviously, you know, started with the Celtics. Talked about them for a while, which was 
you know, different. Um, but the Celtics sit at 14 and 13, fourth place in the East. I will take on the Hawks tonight. They also play the Hawks again on Friday. You know, nine more games to go um, until the All-Star break, and then that will be interesting to see. No word on Marcus Smart. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they just hold him off until the until the All-Star break. Um, I think that you want to make sure he is as healthy as he possibly can be. Um, Daniel Tice missed last night's game, will also miss tonight's game. Uh, I think he jammed his index finger um, against the Wizards on Sunday, so he won't play. Kemba, obviously, uh, will be not playing tonight because of the second of the back-to-back. So we'll see what the Celtics can do tonight against Atlanta, 7.30 on NBC Sports Boston. So now going over to the other uh, tenants of the other tenants of uh, TD Garden, the Boston Bruins, uh, who ironically have not been at the Garden uh, for a pre- pretty long period of time. Uh, if you go back and look, uh, the Bruins have not been at home for a few weeks. Bruins uh, finally have a home game um, on the 18th. They actually were supposed to have one on Monday, but it had been postponed because of the um, Devils outbreak. It looks like they are going to play tomorrow, though, as the Devils are going to have people available. The Bruins have not been home uh, since the since the end of the month. Um, I think it's January. Uh, I think it's January 28th was the last, or January 30th. Excuse me. I was looking at February. I don't know why I did that. Uh, but they have been home, or they have been away from home since, or actually it was the 28th. Never mind. Uh, January 28th. They have not been home since January 28th. They'll be home tomorrow against the Devils. Um, you know, and then they're kind of back out on the road, if you can believe it, because they have the uh, outdoor game on Sunday, and then they have New York games next weekend. So uh, the Bruins really uh, out on the road for a decent bit of this month. Uh, really only one home game, you know, as crazy as that sounds. Um and the Bruins were supposed to have, I think, two other games against uh, the the Sabers, but those games were postponed. So uh, Bruins on the schedule initially had four home ga- or four four home games. So now it's just the one. Uh, so we get in to look at the Bruins and um, how they did since we last talked to you guys, which was uh, last Thursday. Bruins. Uh, coming off that overtime win against the Rangers, beat the Rangers again one to nothing, with uh, Nick Ritchie scoring in the second period, Yaroslav Halak getting the shutout. Um, then the Bruins losing Saturday night to the Islanders four to two. Bruins uh, definitely didn't play their best. I didn't think Tuca played his best either. Um, so you know it happens. The Bruins losing a regulation game. You know, ironically, it's their second regulation loss of the season, and both of them have come at the hands of the Islanders on the road. So, um, but I think that, you know, these off days are, are good for the Bruins gives people, you know, some time to be able to, you know, take a break or, you know, rehab from injuries. Um, although, you know, you kind of figured that Grizzly was going to have a decent amount of time to, um, have some days off, but he won't play tomorrow. Um, neither will Jake Sabor or Jake Saboral. Um, well, I know his name's Jakob, but, you know, I'll call him Jake just for the... Well, actually, no, I should call him Jakob because there's another Jake on the Bruins roster. So, uh, sorry, guys. I'm, like, all over the place talking about I don't know what's going on. Um, 
But home game for the Bruins tomorrow night against the Devils. Bruins 10-2-2 at the quarter pole. Um, you know, it's been a really solid start for the team. Um, you know, I think that 5-on-5 five five scoring maybe isn't exactly where we would hope it is, but I think that defensively, Bruins have done a great job. The young defensemen have really answered the call really well, you know, and answered it really well to the point that I think, you know, you can start thinking that maybe the Bruins really did make the right decision, you know, on Zidane Chara and decided not to bring him back. And, you know, the, the young guys have responded. Lozon and Zaboral have been great. You know, obviously they've not been lighting up the scoreboard, but it's like that's not really what they're supposed to do. But I think that, you know, they've been very solid for the Bruins and, you know, have given the Bruins the ability to, you know, test the waters with some of these guys. And, you know, Rask and Halak have been really solid to start the season. You know, Rask has been good. Like, he's had some really good games. But oddly enough, like, if you look at his save percentage, it's, like, barely over 900. So I'm not really sure what, you know, what what's going on there. Um, because he has had some really good games. He has had some unbelievable games. Games where he has, you know, given the Bruins a chance to win and arguably has probably stolen some games. Um, but yeah, he's at 906 save percentage, 251 goals against, 6-2-1 on the season. Uh, Halak 4-0-1 is still not lost. So, you know, he always plays really well at the beginning of seasons. Um, it's kind of wild to look at where he just for some reason at the beginning just is so is always ready to start the season, you know, always gives the Bruins great chances to win. Um, I would imagine that Rask would play against the Devils um, because he's had a decent amount of days off. And then obviously Bruins uh, will travel out to Lake Tahoe to play the Flyers on Sunday. You know, I'm still not really wild about that just because it's doesn't really seem like the best season to have an outdoor game. It doesn't really seem like the best season for the Bruins and the Flyers to be traveling cross-country to play one game in front of no fans. You know, it's just like, especially with this season, considering that you are playing in the middle of a pandemic, you know, it's just, you know, okay, if, if you really want to play the game, you know, have Colorado and Vegas play. You know, it makes sense because geographically they're both close there. But it's like, I don't understand why you're making the Bruins and the Flyers go cross-country for one game. You know, and I know the Bruins are going to have some days off after the game, but it's like, I don't know. It just it just seems silly to me that, you know, that's happening where you are playing a game that is kind of just, I don't want to say pointless because I know that guys are always excited to play in games like this. It's always good for, you know, viewership and things like that, but... I just don't, I don't see the point of doing it in this particular season. So, you know, whatever, I've, I've said my piece on it and, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be. And if, if, if everyone, if people enjoy watching outdoor games, you know, that, 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 that's your prerogative. You know, I, I like them myself. I just think that, you know, it's just kind of not really the smartest thing to do this season. And, you know, the Flyers still have some some virus issues, but it sounds like the league is still pushing on to to have this game. I think the Bruins and Flyers will play on Sunday. I believe that Colorado-Vegas game is probably on Saturday. I haven't looked at the schedule. I can check uh, right now. Um, 
But I think that, you know, again, it just kind of seems, it just kind of seems pointless to me um, to, to, to do that. So, um, Bruins will play, yes, Bruins will play Sunday and then uh, Vegas and Colorado will play on Saturday afternoon. Um, so, as the Bruins, you know, get out to play the Devils on Thursday, uh, they're trying to uh, shuffle things around in the lineup a little bit. Um, and they're going to have to defensively with, um, I think, Zaboral and Matt Grizzlick are not available uh, to play. So Connor Clifton will play again for Grizzlick, and then presumably John Moore will play for uh, Zaboral. So John Moore played his first game of the season on Saturday against the Islanders. You know, it was fine. You know, he's not really someone that's going to make a huge difference out on the ice. Um, but I think, like, he's a decent, you know, extra depth defenseman to have. Um, and, you know, played fine. You know, I think that Clifton, when he's played, has had a pretty good impact on the Bruins. It's just too bad that, you know, Grizzlick has had a really rough start to the season. Really has struggled to stay in the lineup consistently thanks to some injuries. Um, but I think Clifton has, has done a solid job, you know, brings that aggressiveness, brings that, you know, yeah, just re- really that aggressiveness, you know, willing to get to the net, jump up into the play, you know, throw the body, does a really solid job with that. So um, it's always fun to watch him. He's always a fun guy to watch. Um, as we look at the Bruins practice lines from yesterday, um, there was a pretty interesting note and. You know, I don't know if you guys noticed on Twitter, I was pretty pretty excited about this, that uh, David Pasternak will be playing with uh, Krejci and Richie tomorrow night on the second line um, as the Bruins try to get Jake DeBrus going and try to get him um, back to playing the way that he should be playing. So the Bruins moving him up to the first line, I think that it's more about him moving up than Pasta moving down. Um, I just think, and I've, I've said this a million times, I just think the Bruins are far more dangerous playing Pasternak with David Krejci. You know, David uh, Pasternak is, you know, arguably the best forward on the team. He's the best pure goal scorer. And it just is like everyone's complaining, always complaining about, oh, Krejci doesn't have the wingers and this and that. And it's just like it's such a perfect solution to put your best goal scorer with arguably your, you know, best setup guy or guy that everyone's complaining about that never has any wingers, you know. And meanwhile, while we're all complaining about that, you know, David Krejci continues to put up points no matter who he's playing with. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's it's this weird, like, I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but it's just this weird thing that it always has to be, oh, get these great wingers for Krejci. And it's, I, I don't know. It's just like, and I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm talking, like, talking crazy, but like, I don't know. I feel like there's way too much conversation about the, oh, like, we got to get these wingers for crazy. I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's just kind of a strange, a strange thing. But it's like, okay, now you got a legit winger for him. So um, we'll see how it works. I just, I just feel like this should, this should have been what they, what they should have been doing from day one is playing pasta with crazy because it just, it makes way too much sense. So um, we'll see what happens. You know, I think that Again, this move is more about Jake DeBrusque and trying to get him going. But um, I don't mean to be, you know, on Jake as much as I have been. But 
I mean, I, I think something's got to change for him. He needs to start producing or, you know, his days are going to run out here. Um, I just think that the Bruins are kind of doing everything they can to get him going, but it's like you're, you're, in, you're in your fourth season. You know, you should be producing at the – like you should know – you know, it kind of almost goes back to when I was talking about the Celtics with their bench. It's like at a certain point, you are not a young player anymore and you are, you know, part of the team and like you were, you've been around forever and it's like you need to start producing. You need to start being what the team expects you to be and, you know, I don't know. It's like you're, you're at a point where the team should put you in a spot and you should produce and that's it, you know, and it's just like the team shouldn't continue to just move you around and try to light fires because... You know, it's like he's played enough games. He's played with David Krejci. He's been in the league forever. It's like, or not forever, but like he's been in the league for four years. Like at a certain point, you need to start producing. The excuses need to need to stop. Like you need to start producing. And it just, it seems like he's he's had an issue with this the last year or so, last year and a half, two years, whatever it's been. You know, and I know that last season he put up a decent amount of goals. I forget how many he put up, but it's like, I don't know. It's just like you you expect more from him. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. And I know that he was hurt for a decent period of time, and that's okay. Um, you know, I thought that his uh, first game back after a while, you know, against the Rangers, when he assisted on Bjork's goal and was really involved, you know, that was a great game. But then it's like, I, I don't, he wasn't really noticeable in that second Rangers game, he wasn't noticeable against the Islanders. And it's just like, it's few and far between when you notice him. And it's like, you're in your fourth season. You've played plenty of NHL games. Like, you kind of should know what he is by now. And the fact that he's not producing consistently is just like maddening. And it leads me to believe that if, if that doesn't change, that he'll get traded. And he might get traded as soon as this trade deadline because I think the Bruins are at a point where they absolutely are in a position to try to win and you need players that you know what you're going to get from and I don't know if really you know what you're going to get from Jake so um, you know we'll see what happens you know I like that Craig Smith is back playing with Charlie Coyle you know I think that really needs to happen I think Coyle's been kind of quiet this year but he's kind of had a revolving door of wingers you know not to not to, you know, piggyback off the Krejci point, but, you know, he's kind of had a revolving door of guys that he's played with. So it'd be nice to see, you know, Bjork and Smith be on that line and be a consistent line. Um, Frederick has absolutely earned his spot to stay in the lineup. He's been really solid. You know, the points haven't really come, but to me, I don't know. It's not really something that I'm overly concerned with. Um, you know, I think that points at this point in his career are kind of a bonus, but I think obviously there's room there's room to improve, and you know he and Corrali play really well together. Wagner always plays well together, and the Bruins you know have some solid bottom six guys that they can throw in there. It was um, unfortunate to see the Bruins are have released uh, Parlindholm as he's going back to Sweden to play. Um, so you know that was a little unfortunate, um, but you know I think that obviously his spot was not really totally guaranteed with this team. Um, and so the Bruins, you know, kind of opens up an, another opportunity for 
you know, someone like a Greg McKegg or a Anton Bleed, you know, someone to be able to kind of get those extra games. But I really think the Bruins have a forward group that certain guys have been playing well and aren't giving you a reason to to take take them out of the lineup. So um, we'll see. We'll see what the Bruins do on Thursday against the Devils, and then we'll be traveling out to traveling out to Lake Tahoe to play the Flyers on Sunday afternoon. That game is at three o'clock on NBC. I believe it's on NBC. So um, as we take a look around the rest of the NHL, there were some um, games, some interesting games of note last night. Ilya Sorokin got his first NHL win and his first shutout as the Islanders beat the Sabres 3 to nothing. Uh, Capitals beat the Penguins 3 to 1. The Devils beating the Rangers at uh, Madison Square Garden 5 to 2. Uh, Minnesota returned from their uh, COVID outbreaks, I guess, and the Kings beat them 4 to nothing. Uh, Colorado beat Vegas 3 to 2. So, as we take a look at the standings for the uh, rest of the league, the Bruins, you know, still picking up points despite despite that loss to the Islanders. Um, as we look at the North Division, Toronto still on top. As they've been playing great, obviously, they blew a 5 1 lead to Ottawa the other night, but they are still on top of the North. Uh, by four points ahead of second place Montreal. Um, And then Winnipeg and Edmonton right behind. Both of those teams have been pretty solid, although Edmonton is kind of just, I don't know, they're just kind of an average hockey team to me. Um, I know that you have Dreisaitl and you have McDavid, but I don't know, the rest of their team is just kind of average. Like they're just, I don't, in my opinion, they're just not that good of a hockey team. Um, They're not really someone that, they're not really a team that scares me because it's like, you know, obviously you can have two unbelievably talented guys, you know, arguably two of the most talented guys in the league, maybe, you know, McDavid, who's probably the most skilled player, but yikes, it's just like, and I I don't know what needs to change with that team exactly, but you know, it's just, it's, I don't know. It's strange. They're not really a team that strikes fear into you, but I will say, you know, if they squeak into the playoffs, you know, they could be a problem if McDavid and Dreisaitl catch fire. Um, in the East, the Bruins with a three-point advantage over the Islanders. Bruins with 22 points. One of the only teams in the NHL with uh, 20-plus points. Bruins at a plus 12 uh, goal differential, which is pretty good. That's by far the best in the East division. Looking at the Central, Tampa Bay with a one-point lead over Florida, Carolina, and Chicago. As I said, that division is... Uh, going to be very crazy at the end of the season. Um, Obviously, Chicago and Columbus have played 17 games. A number of those teams in that, a number of teams in that division have not played as many games thanks to some breakouts. Dallas, obviously, has only played 12 games. Carolina and Florida, 13. Tampa Bay, 14. So, um, obviously, that will change with some games being made up at at, at a certain point, but that Tampa Bay Lightning with a one-point lead over Florida, Carolina, and Chicago. Florida's playing really well um, out, of the, out of the gate. They're 6-2-2 two, two in their last 10. Uh, Carolina's 8-2 in their last 10. They've won three straight. And then in the West, you have Vegas with a one-point lead over St. Louis. Both of those teams playing pretty well. Colorado's been, you know, slowly but surely playing okay out of the gate. You know, they're not blowing teams away that some people thought they would, obviously. McKinnon was out for a decent amount of time. He got came back last night. Um, and scored in their win over Vegas. But 
you know, I think that's another interesting division to watch. You know, I think that, in my opinion, Vegas, St. Louis, and Colorado are probably teams that are going to make the playoffs. But uh, that last spot will be very interesting. Arizona, I think, is a team that you really never know what to make of. Um, Anaheim has been picking up points. You know, John Gibson's a goalie that, you know, if he gets hot, that's a team that could go on a decent run and maybe get that fourth playoff spot. Um, I also think Minnesota is capable of it too. You know, they're a team that is capable of getting, you know, hot at very, like, random times. Um, They're one of those teams that, like, I don't know, they're one of those teams that could either lose 10 straight games or they could win 10 straight games. They're one of those weird teams um, you know, it's like you've seen some runs in recent years. You know, Carolina always seems to get hot at, at random points in the regular season. You saw Columbus, I think it was, that won like 11 or 12 straight games. Like last year, the Flyers won like 10 straight. So it's like you get on a run, you know, you, you could absolutely make the playoffs. So I think in the West, you know, I tend to believe more in like Minnesota or Anaheim than I do like um, Los Angeles or San Jose, but really in that central, I believe that any team could make the playoffs. Um, I still think Tampa Bay is probably the favorite to win the division. I think Carolina could feasibly win the division too. Um, but I think, you know, outside of those two teams and maybe Columbus, really any of those teams could make the playoffs, um, except for Detroit, obviously. Sorry, sorry to them. But I think that, you know, you look at the top seven teams in that division really think any of them could make the playoffs, so it could make for a really crazy uh, last few weeks of the regular season, you know, as we get closer to it, only playing 56 games, so we're about at the quarter point. Um, Obviously, some teams have not played as many games as, say, the Bruins, but uh, we are roughly there. So I think that that probably is probably it for for our, our NHL thoughts. Uh, We'll talk about the Red Sox as they have opened spring training. Um, Games will start at the end of the month. I think it's the Twins that the Red Sox are playing um, at the end of the month as the regular or the spring training will get going. Uh, Red Sox, I think, are only playing four or five teams as, you know, the protocols, I think, only have teams play other teams like in their general area in Florida. So the Red Sox will be playing a lot of Minnesota, Atlanta, Tampa Bay, and Baltimore, I think, are the four teams that they'll be playing. And then they'll have a couple games mixed in against Pittsburgh um, at various points. But those are the four teams the Red Sox will be playing. Mostly, obviously, with Minnesota. Minnesota is pretty close to where the Red Sox um, are training for. Or actually, no, it's I think it's the same spot in Fort Myers. Obviously, it's not the same place, but you know, both are in Fort Myers, Atlanta. Tampa Bay, and then Baltimore. Um, Not sure where they are in Florida, but they must be, you know, decently close by as the Red Sox will play them. Um, Then obviously they'll play a pair against Pittsburgh at various points. So the uh, spring training schedule will start with the Red Sox playing the Twins on February 28th. So we're still a ways away from that. And then they will close the spring training March 30th against the Braves. So all these games, 1 o'clock or 6 o'clock, obviously, you know, you have some games that probably will be on um, Nesson or available to watch. So definitely uh, keep your eyes on that. So as we think about the Red Sox this season, um, you know, now with the team pretty much set, I think 
you know, as you look at some of the guys that, you know, are on this training, on this, keep saying training camp, like I'm talking about football. Um, but as we look at this spring training roster with the Red Sox, I think, you know, as, as expected, a lot hinges on the Red Sox starting pitching that I think that really is really, that is really what is going to make or break this season, you know, and really is going to determine whether they will be a team that will compete for a playoff spot or not, you know, and be a team that was like last season where maybe they get hit by the injury bug or real bad inconsistency. So um, obviously the Red Sox will start and probably play about half the season without Chris Sale. Hopefully Chris can return, you know, at some point in July, you know, hopefully that that's an accurate return date. And, you know, it's not something where, you know, it's, it lingers for longer because Tommy John surgery is one of those things that kind of is, you know, it's a little iffy. And I know that it's a surgery that is, you know, medical science has improved so much over the last 30 years or so that like the surgery itself, you know, is not difficult to do, but you know, you wonder if a pitcher like Chris Sale can come back and be the same exact player, be ready to go, you know, in July. So I think best case scenario, the Red Sox starting pitching holds them above water. And by the time Sale comes back, you know, he can really give them kind of some added oomph. And maybe, you know, it works as kind of a trade deadline acquisition, you know, if the Red Sox are, are in it still by that point. Um, so I'm very curious, though, to see about the new um, additions to the Red Sox, Kike Hernandez, uh, Marwin Gonzalez, who's interesting that uh, I talked about him last week as a possible, as kind of another person the Red Sox could bring in to kind of be a um, versatile, versatile kind of platoon player, probably at first base. So they brought him in, which I thought was really smart. Um, and then for, for, for Franchi Cordero, who they brought in from the Benintendi trade, you know, he's going to be someone really interesting to look at. And obviously the Red Sox have, you know, kind of a a brand new, you know, new look outfield with Cordero, Verdugo, and Renfro, you know, probably is going to be their starting outfield on opening day. And then J.D. Martinez is also someone that, you know, worst case scenario can play the outfield. Um, you know, Renfro can play both corner spots. Marwin Gonzalez can also play both corner spots in the outfield. So, um, the Red Sox got a number of guys who are versatile, you know, specifically guys like Hernandez and Gonzalez who can play the infield and the outfield. So it kind of made sense that the Red Sox brought both of those guys in. But I think, you know, just by looking at this Red Sox depth chart, you know, it's like it's not half bad. It's really not that not half bad. You know, with the relief pitching, I think could be solid this year. Um Sawamura, obviously, who they brought in from Japan. Hernandez is also a guy that a lot of people are pretty high on. And Adam Ottavino, you know, I think is someone that um, could have a good bounce back year for the Red Sox. But starting pitching, I think that's really what this season is going to is going to uh, hinge on um, as to whether this team can compete for a playoff spot or they're going to be under 500. So, um, you know, talking more about Marwin Gonzalez, who just I just thought it was just such a great guy to bring in. And I know that maybe he's not performed at the highest level that he did maybe back in Minnesota, but, you know, he's someone who is versatile, someone who, you know, typically can stay healthy and can play, um, you know, the multiple spots. You know, you most likely see him 
a lot at first base. You know, you might see him in the corner outfield as well. Um, but, you know, looking on baseball reference, you look at his projections, um, and this is, you know, obviously take this with a grain of salt, but um, projections are 16 homers, 61 RBIs, and a 240 batting average, which, you know, isn't, isn't terrible, but it's like he's also maybe not going to be someone that plays every day. But if he can give you something like that, you know, I feel pretty confident about the Red Sox lineup. You know, I think that it just will be interesting to see what the team's defense looks like. I think specifically in the outfield because, you know, you had two years ago with Betts, Benintendi, and Bradley Jr. I mean, that's one of the, that was one of the best outfields in baseball. You know, now the Red Sox are working with this brand new outfield, you know, with Cordero, who most likely is going to play left field. And, you know, you know what that means. That means trying to learn how to play the green monster. And that's not easy for anyone. But, you know, I think Verdugo can do a solid job in center. You know, I think right field will be interesting. You know, how often do you see Hernandez in there, Gonzalez or Renfro? You know, Renfro probably is going to be the the opening day starter in right field. Uh, But you're probably going to see a number of different guys play in the outfield, you know, rather than just those three. Um, I'd be shocked if you see J.D. Martinez in the outfield really at all. You know, he's someone that you would see in kind of an emergency situation where maybe they have two or three guys hurt or something like that. You know, and he has to play a couple games in right field. But he's a guy that's going to stick at DH. And I think that look for him to have a really good bounce back year. You know, I think that unfortunately just did not have a great year last year and sometimes just have bad years. So, you know, he's someone that I think can get back to being a really, really good candidate uh, or a really, really good player for the Red Sox. I can kind of lift up that lineup because, you know, if the Red Sox can get decent scoring and they can score a decent amount of runs, you know, they might actually be able to be a somewhat decent team that can compete. But then again, you know, I think that I talked last week about kind of rethinking where this team's expectations are. You know, and I think that's important. You know, I think that they're a team that absolutely can compete for a playoff spot, but I do think a lot has to go right. You know, I think the pitching staff has to really perform and exceed expectations and be better than I think we're thinking. Um, But I don't think that playoffs are out of the question. You know, I don't think that it's likely. You know, I think that it's probably more of like a 50-50 shot that they make the playoffs. You know, it's probably not a two-thirds chance that they make it or three-quarters. But, you know, anywhere, it's if it's anywhere around 50%, like, I feel pretty good about that. So, um, you know, it'd be interesting. You know, it's, I think that they can win somewhere in the mid-80s. You know, that's probably my guess about where they are. 84, 85, 86 wins. And, you know, if that's a couple games out of the wild card, that's probably what it will look like. But, you know, if the pitching staff responds and if Sale comes back and, you know, is the same guy, you know, they could challenge for a playoff spot and they could even get in. And, you know, I think based on what you saw this past season with the expanded playoffs, I think that you're going to see that again, you know, anything can happen once you get in. You know, the Houston Astros got into the playoffs with a sub-500 record and, you know, made a, made it pretty far. So, you know, it's not, it's not out of the question. So um, definitely, you know, keep looking for updates on the Red Sox Twitter and, you know, things like that as we get closer and closer to the start of spring training games. We probably will have um, Eric Bellier on the show at some point before the start of the season. Um, So be on the lookout for that. So we'll kind of probably wrap up with some college basketball. But first, I want to get to the NFL and get to 
talking about an article that uh, I just recently wrote for um, my new media site. I wrote a blog post uh, earlier in the week about J.J. Watt, um, who was recently released by the or by the almost, almost said Astros, uh, recently released by the Texans, um, and obviously you know he's a big time player and um, can still play at a pretty high level. Obviously not the defensive player of the year you know, that won the award a couple times. So, um, yeah, if you want more, like, deeper insight, you can read my article. Um, But I think just, you know, as a whole, I think, and I talked about this in the article, that, you know, there are a lot of reasons out there for why he could join the Patriots. So um, it will definitely be something to watch. You know, I think that almost any team could be, you know, of, of use for him. But I think that, you know, it might come down to him wanting to win somewhere. So... Um, it will definitely be interesting to see, but that really kind of is the biggest news um, of kind of the last couple of days. Obviously, more and more things come out about the draft and mock drafts, but there's not really a lot of news necessarily, not really any big trades. You know, obviously there have been some people that are uh, maybe or maybe not recruiting J.J. Watt to come play for their team. Um, the Dolphins gave Jason Sanders a new contract. He was an all-pro this season as a kicker. He really had a good season for the Dolphins. But um, one of the things that I think I'm interested, obviously we're all interested about uh, the quarterback situation and you know what that's going to look like for the Patriots. Um, honestly, I think that the kind of top quarterback prospects that people are thinking about are probably going to be out of reach for the Patriots. You know, I think when you think about the the Lawrence Fields Wilson and Lance you know those are kind of the top four guys um, that are most likely going to be picked off the board in the first ten picks I would think um, and so I think the Patriots unfortunately are going to miss out on those guys um, but I think by some, if some crazy thing happens and you know we see an Aaron Rodgers type fall in the first round of the draft the Patriots absolutely could be the beneficiary of that. You know, if someone like a Fields falls or a Lance falls, you know, Lance didn't play at all last season. You know, I know that he's a really good pro prospect and people really like him, but people could be scared off by that. You know, I know that teams say or, you know, you think teams are going to go a certain direction now, but a lot can change, you know, between now and the draft. And, you know, free agency could be something that comes into play for many of these teams that are looking for a quarterback, including the Patriots. You know, there's possibility the Patriots could go into this draft already having a quarterback, like a Garoppolo or someone that they trade for um, or someone that they bring in in free agency. You know, I think that that's probably not likely at this point, but I guess it's possible. Um, But I think if that happens, then you're going to see the Patriots almost not taking a quarterback, you know, if they can somehow get someone. Um, And if they do take a quarterback and they already have one, it probably will be someone to take over for the future. So maybe it's someone in the third or fourth round that you take, not a first-round guy. Like, I think those first four guys that I mentioned, I think that whatever team they go to, they're going to be expected to start right away. Um, So I think, you know, that could be also something that the Patriots are thinking about. You know, are they really in a position where they're ready to have a rookie come in and play right away? And so I think that, being those top four guys, being that maybe they're going to be ready to play if the Patriots take one of them, you know, they'll be ready to play from day one. But if they can't, it's like, well, I don't, outside of those four, I don't know if there's anyone else that could be in position to start right away and kind of be a difference maker right away. And that includes Mac Jones. 
Now, I know that he did, he was great at Alabama last year, but he had a lot of weapons at Alabama. He's playing in a, in a system that, you know, it wasn't particularly difficult for him. And so I just, I don't know how he would translate to, to the NFL. It's just, I think there, there, there are more questions about him than there would be about the guys at the top of the draft. Um, but I think what's going to happen is if the Patriots are not able to take one of these top four quarterbacks, chances are they're probably going to go defense. And I think that if Micah Parsons is still available, the linebacker from Penn State, you know, that decision makes is, is way too easy for the Patriots. Um, I think even with Mac Jones on the board, I think you still go and get a versatile, really solid linebacker that can help you right away. You know, I think that the Patriots are in a position where they need as many players right now that can come in and play. And they bring in Mac Jones. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he'll automatically be the starter and be ready to go from day one. Because it's like if the Patriots wanted to do that and start a young guy, they would have played Stidham last year. And they wouldn't have even signed Cam Newton. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. But I think there's a possibility, you know, it's it's very small. But there is a possibility by the time the draft rolls around, the Patriots will have found a quarterback. You know, if it's not Garoppolo, I have a hard time seeing who that's going to be because I don't think they're going to pay Dak Prescott. You know, I guess it's possible that they could bring Cam back. But, you know, you would have to surround him with some really good weapons. You would have to go out and get, you know, a big time tight end uh, like a Hunter Henry, or maybe you go out and get a Zach Ertz in a trade, um, and maybe you bring in a Marvin Jones, or you take a look at an Allen Robinson. I don't think that that's going to happen because I think him, with him being the top receiver on the board, there's going to be some team that's going to overpay for him, and the Patriots are not going to overpay for a wide receiver. I know that that's a position that they probably need the most help at. But I think that you've seen the Patriots for years, and they're not going to overpay for a wide receiver. They're not going to give a wide receiver a ridiculous amount of money. They might bring in some guys on like reasonable contracts, but they're not going to, you know, shell out a five, six-year deal for Allen Robinson. They're not just—they're just not going to. So, you know, a lot of a lot of uncertainty about the Patriots. But um, I don't know. I'm I'm weirdly excited. I know that maybe we're not in the best position to compete right now, but I'm excited. We're in a position that we've never been in before as Patriot fans. And I don't know, there's something that makes me excited about kind of, you know, something new. So um, definitely get ready because it's going to be a crazy off season. There's going to be all kinds of crazy stuff that happens, I bet. Um, just one one last little thing about the NFL, Trevor Lawrence uh, going through s- some shoulder surgery, I believe it was um, the other day. So on his non-throwing shoulder. So um, not a huge concern, I guess, because, you know, obviously it's his non-throwing shoulder and all reports indicate that he'll be ready for training camp. So um, not too much to worry about, but it is something kind of interesting um, as he is the presumed number one pick for uh, Jacksonville, assuming that that's what they do, you know, and they don't do something really crazy and, you know, bungle it and pick some other quarterback. But um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But draft... Uh, at the end of April, April 29th in Cleveland, Ohio. So that's kind of the next thing to look forward to. There is free agency in exactly a month, uh, March 17th. So that will be something to uh, keep your eye on as well. So uh, before I let you guys go, and I know that it's been, you know, really just a, 
a terrible journey of you guys listening to me just, you know, blabber on. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'll take a look at uh, NCAA basketball rankings for the men and the women as we get closer to March and March Madness. I watched a little bit of uh, Wisconsin and Michigan the other day. Uh, Michigan came into Wisconsin and won on the road. Um, Michigan currently third in the rankings for week 13. They just came out on Monday. Gonzaga and Baylor still at one and two. Michigan, Ohio State, and Illinois rounding out the top five. So uh, Big Ten having a really solid year in basketball um, with the three teams in the top five. Um, And then they also have Iowa at 11th, Luca Garza, is a big-time player, so, you know, don't uh, forget about don't forget about them as being a solid team um, from the Big Ten as well as Wisconsin. They're still in the top 25 uh, despite the loss. Uh, Houston, Virginia, and Alabama, 6, 7, and 8, and then Oklahoma and Villanova. Villanova fell after losing, um, I think, losing this weekend. So still they're a solid team, but, you know, I think that assuming that this tournament can be played, and I think that it's it's a big if, um, in in my, in my honest opinion. But I mean, and I feel like I feel like I've said this for the last couple of tournaments that it really is anyone's game. But I truly feel like it's anyone's game because I think that you have two teams that I think are head and shoulders above the rest in Baylor and Gonzaga, but the rest of the teams like. It could anything could happen. Really, anything can happen. You could see, you could see a double-digit seed go into the Final Four. You know, we see that every so often. Loyola Chicago, I think we saw that in the within the last few years. So, I think things could get really crazy uh, for for men's college basketball. But you know, women's probably will get crazy too because they think that you have a couple of top teams. But then outside of that, it's really anyone's game. You know, I think. UConn and South Carolina, you know, probably are going to be the top two teams. You know, Louisville, Texas A&M, Stanford, NC State, and Baylor, you know, are, are solid teams as well. But, you know, I really think that um, for as crazy as this year in college basketball has been, it really could go any, any which way. Um, but I think that it's still very valid to have concerns about you know, whether these tournaments are going to be able to be played and whether they'll be able to be played safely. Um, You know, you've seen countless teams that have postponed games and, you know, teams that have, that have stopped because of positive tests and in the, in the, um, within the team. And I don't know, it just, it's kind of like, do you really think that you can get, you know, this whole tournament played in, in Indiana in March when, you know, I think the the country is doing slightly better with the virus, but it's like you're putting a lot of these young athletes at risk, and um, it just it's just I don't know. It just it's just going to create a really tough situation if you know you run into this tournament and there are teams that are there that have outbreaks, you know, and you're going to have to are you going to have to cancel games? You're going to have to go through the painful process of doing that and telling teams and telling kids that you can't play in this tournament. You know, it's just like, I feel like in a way it's trending towards that. So hoping that the NCAA can do everything they can to, you know, keep these athletes safe for these tournaments. And 
not just basketball, but any tournaments that are going to go on in the next few months, um, whether it's college basketball or college hockey or, you know, whatever it is. So, you know, it will be interesting to see, but um, hopefully it gets to happen because I think that a lot of us, you know, really felt robbed by losing the NCAA tournament last year and we want to be able to see it. But, you know, I'll be honest, like, I don't want to, I want to see it, but not at the expense of the health of the, of these young athletes, you know, it's, it's crazy where it's like, yeah, they're, they're younger than me. You know, I'm at a point where, where I'm 25 and now I'm talking about college athletes like they are younger than me. It's just kind of a weird thing, but uh, definitely will be interesting to see what happens. Um, so I think that probably, probably does it for me this week for episode 76 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. As always, you can follow the page, uh, the Twitter page on, on Twitter, um, at Not Boston. You can also follow the Facebook page. You can now listen to us on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. So this is Garrett Hayden signing off, and we will talk to you next week.